Psalm 25. We stand on the threshold of a new year. I have been charged by the God of heaven to stir you up. To live for the Lord Jesus Christ, His kingdom, His gospel, His word, and His people. What we are doing right now is the most important privilege, the greatest duty, involving the only true and absolute truth, wisdom, worship, and people on earth. The people that are sitting around you, even if they may irritate you from time to time, are the people of God. And if you love Him that begat, you will love them also who are begotten of Him because we're all in one family And our Father has said that we are to dwell together in unity and peace and love one another. The wisdom that we understand in this room exceeds all the wisdom of the think tanks of Columbia, Harvard, and any other university in this country or any other country. The more they learn, the less they know. They come into this world absolutely ignorant, dirtying on themselves, and they go out of this world absolutely ignorant, and you got it, dirtying on themselves. But we have infinite wisdom in the Word of God, and it's wonderful. We have wisdom that answers all the questions of the philosophers for 6,000 years. We know the origin of man, the origin of the universe, the purpose of the universe, the end of the universe. We know the cause of death, the cure for death. We know what the purpose of man is under the sun. We know it all because God's given it to us all. Because God's given all of it to us as well as to all of us. Thank you, Lord. I do not like to use terminology different than the Bible, even temporarily. But I hope you'll allow me for a few minutes to describe us and other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as a secret society. Having just traveled to the other side of the earth and meeting those that believed and loved the same things that we believe and love, made me realize that more than ever, even though I've used those words with you before. Secret society meetings in cell groups are taking place all over the world. They're taking place in St. Louis, in Michigan, Malaysia, down the street in Athens, and in many other places, some we know of and many we don't know of. This secret society, I call it a secret society because the world does not recognize it. I call it a secret society because it has, to its initiates, those who have believed the Lord Jesus Christ have been baptized, A body of wisdom that the world does not appreciate nor understand. When we walk down the street, they do not see us nor know us. And I want to share with you some verses that I hope God will use to stir up your hearts that you have something most precious. That while you were driving to this assembly in the dark and gloomy weather that we have in Greenville, there is inside these four walls something that God has chosen that if the Lord were to lift his restraint on the sea and the rivers and the mountains, they would flee, be driven back, and tremble. Because the people of God are meeting together. Children, this is not some Sunday thing we do. This is not some religious thing that is part of American tradition. We are worshiping the God of Jacob, and he is with us. And what you are doing right now is the most important thing that can be done on earth. There is no cabinet meeting that can match this because we're the people of God coming to meet with the Lord Himself. We've got truth they can't even dream about because they don't even know how to think of it. And the people sitting around you are the people of God. I have told you before, if the world ever understood who you were, 
all the paparazzi and other members of the media would be outside this assembly right now. Our little piece of property would be overrun with those wanting to get some interviews from the children of God when we walked out of that door. But they did not know us any more than they knew our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because they didn't know Him, they don't know us. I want you to rejoice in the fact that you are a son of God by holy and special and sovereign adoption by the God of heaven. And what a privileged position that is. We are the sons of God. Discrimination at its finest. He looked into the orphanage of sinful mankind and chose us and left the rest. We belong with the rest. The truth be told, sometimes the rest look better than we do. But by His grace, He's chosen us. Psalm 25. I want to use five introductory texts this morning. If, if I use that many, you know that it's going to be a part of the sermon. Psalm 25 and verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. This is the Lord drawing near to a group of people and revealing Himself to them. The secret of the Lord. His personal and attentive affection, care, and providence over them. His revealing to them things about Himself, things about them, things about their relationship that cannot be known any other way than the Lord revealing it. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. If you fear the Lord this morning, truly in your heart, you tremble before Him, and you want to worship and serve Him, then God's secret is with you. And He will show you His covenant. He will show those that fear Him His covenant of salvation, His everlasting covenant in all of its glorious benefits. When this last will and testament is read in heaven, you're going to wonder if the end is ever going to come because all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus are reserved for us in heaven. I hope you remember that when John stood in Revelation chapter 5 and saw Him that sitteth upon the throne, and in His hands was a book written on the inside, the outside, and sealed with seven seals, He wept because there was no man that could open that book. That book is a last will and testament of God Himself. It is the book of the everlasting covenant, and we know what's in it. But not all that's in it. Paul said that when he went to heaven, he saw things that were not lawful to utter. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. He'll show them his covenant. You know, John wept because there was no man found that could go up to him that sat in the throne and take that book out of his hands and open it. And if that book is not open and the seals are not loosed and those pages are not turned, then all the benefits of that last will and testament are not ours. Your name is in that book. It's the book of life. It's the book of the everlasting covenant. You say, how do you know it's the book of life? It doesn't say it there. How do you know it's the book of the everlasting covenant? Because as soon as the seals are ripped off, they start singing about salvation. Go read Revelation chapter 5. They start singing about salvation. The angels fall down and worship the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb is an angelic chorus about the Savior of sinful man. And then the the righteous are singing blessing and honor and glory and power to Him that sits on the throne because salvation has been secured for us. God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ who sits at the pinnacle of the universe will show you His secret and He will show you His covenant if you fear Him and are one of His people. 
Come to Matthew chapter 13, to one of the verses that our young brother read to us. Matthew chapter 13. Oh, there was a discrimination back there in Psalm 25. The Lord does not share His secret with everyone. He does not show everyone His covenant. Most run through the world ignorant of it, even those that claim the name of Christ. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11. In answer to the question by His disciples why He spoke to the crowd in parables, because a parable is a difficult thing to understand. It's a riddle. It's a proverb. It is not what so many Sunday school teachers have taught us in time past, that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to make it easy for common people to understand. That is not what a parable is. A parable is a proverb and a riddle, and it's difficult to understand, and the disciples knew that. That's why they asked. His answer. Verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Not mysteries to us any longer because they've been revealed. But mysteries to men. You cannot learn these things by natural education, intellect, or effort. This is God revealing them to us. And He has revealed them to us. And He revealed some right here in this 13th chapter of Matthew. But notice the discrimination. If you understand, if you appreciate the things of God that are contained in the Bible, it's because God chose to reveal those mysteries to you. And He has not done so to many, many others. Look at Luke 17. Luke 17. I hope you're thankful this morning to be part of a great kingdom. I hope you're thankful that you have a great king. I hope you're thankful that your sins have been washed away and there's an eternal inheritance waiting for you. I hope you're thankful that God has saved those around you and given you an opportunity to love them as members of the family of God. And we're thankful for those that are visiting with us. Brother, you came the farthest without telling us. And sister, but we love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's shown us His covenant. We are blessed. Luke 17, verse 20. And when He was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, He, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's a, it wasn't within them. It was among them. It was, it was walking around in Israel and the Pharisees couldn't see it. Just like the world can't see it today. You know, when the sons of God walked down the streets, if the truth were known, they would fall and do obeisance to the sons of God. And I do not say to puff any of you up in pride, nor to puff myself up in pride. The only value we have is because God has chosen us and loved us. But we are the sons of God. And the kingdom of God was among the Israelites, and the Pharisees were demanding, show us your kingdom. If you're a king, show us your kingdom. And he said, it doesn't come with observation. You men that are walking by sight instead of by faith, you can't see my kingdom. But it's already here. And men are pressing into it. As Luke 16, 16 tells us, Jesus said, if I, with the finger of God, am casting out devils, then no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. 
how do we get stirred up? We beg God the Holy Spirit to stir us up and we look into His Word and see the great things that God has done for us and the great things that are held in store for us. And we stir ourselves up by encouraging ourselves in the Lord that we have been given great and precious promises and by these we are made partakers of the divine nature and we ought to be living lives wholly sold out for the God that has loved us and the Savior that has died for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Do you understand that the entire universe exists for God to work out a drama where you are one of the main characters? The mystery, the hidden wisdom, the world does not, the world doesn't know a thing about the origin of the universe. Their big bang out of chaotic gases is so ridiculous. But even if they were to figure out that there was a creator, they still don't know why. Why was it all created? It was created for God to display His great mercy and love and kindness toward His children and His great wrath and power toward His enemies. And it is being played out. And it is hidden wisdom. There is no university degree that gives you this wisdom. It is from God and His Word. And brethren, it's being played out right now. And we are here in a room together where we are sharing the fact that we know that hidden wisdom. We know that that hidden wisdom involves us. We know that hidden wisdom involves things, blessings, spiritual blessings, physical blessings. A physical blessing, let me tell you about one that exceeds all the ones that you can think of. Physical blessings, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. I'm looking for that change. You know, I'm changing every day, but in the wrong direction. I want to change in the, in the direction that God's going to change me shortly. And all of you, behold, I show you a mystery. The world doesn't know that. They say, hey, that life's over with. Toss it in the garbage incinerator and burn it up with cremation. Oh, no. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We put our bodies to bed and to rest in the ground by burial. Because the Lord's going to raise them up and change them. But it's notice that seventh verse. It's hidden wisdom and it's called a mystery. Because these things are unknown to the world. But they're known to us. And they should move us. They should motivate us. They should change our lives. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. When a man hears things like this and it doesn't move him, we must conclude he's a reprobate. If there's the possibility of him being a very carnal Christian, then we'll leave that up with the Lord. But these things ought to move the saints of God. First John chapter 3. Look at this first verse. Behold! Here's something to look at and think about. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Amen. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Right. This is hidden wisdom. The world does not see or know that we are the sons of God because it did not see and know that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And they crucified the Lord of glory. You may come back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
This is the chapter that the Lord has impressed upon me over the last few weeks while I've been away from you. I have just shared five passages of Scripture with you that show God's discriminating purpose in our lives and His revealing of secrets, covenants, kingdoms, mysteries, and the hidden wisdom of the universe and our sonship as the sons of God. We'll look a little more closely here at 1 Corinthians 2. Do you understand just a little the unspeakable riches and blessing that are for your personal glory that God has ordained before the world began? Before He created the universe, He already had the beneficiaries of His covenant. He already had the means for executing that covenant in place. And it's just playing out over time. And we are the recipients of that grace and that blessing. And so we come together to remind ourselves of what great things God has done for us and what great things we ought to be doing for Him. Lord, help us to see the latter most of all. It's common for occult organizations and secret societies to have mysteries and secrets that they reveal to the initiated. It kind of locks in the upper members because they're given more and more information And so it is in the church of Jesus Christ. Although we're no occult organization, we're a secret society in the sense that the world can't see us and doesn't understand us. But yet, as we learn and mature and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn and know more and more of what God has done for us. You know, until the flood, there were only a few saints that the Bible tells us about who lived righteously and knew the true God. The rest of mankind lived in ignorance, lust, greed, abuse, fear, pain, and loneliness. Died hopelessly. No mysteries revealed to them. No hope communicated by the gospel. They were left ignorant in darkness. You say, it sounds so hard. It sounds so cruel. It sounds so cold and final. Oh, but we all had our chance in the Garden of Eden. We could have had paradise forever. We could have had the tree of life for breakfast every day. Oh, yes, he didn't say you couldn't touch the tree of life. He said, you may not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We had our chance in a perfect specimen of a man named Adam created by God. Don't think God cruel or harsh. We made our choice. We love ignorance to light. We love lies to truth. We love the devil in comparison to God. And we love having it our own way instead of submitting to him. For 2,400 years after that, he left all the nations to walk in their ignorance and winked at it. But he revealed his covenant to Israel. They had an obscure ceremonial form of worship, but they were the only ones on earth that had it. What did they do to the rest of the nations? They either ignored them or annihilated them. The seven nations of Canaan. God had chosen his people. And he lifted them up above all other peoples. They had the God of Jacob as their refuge and the object of their worship. For the last 2,000 years, the gospel's gone to the Gentiles, but few have heard it and fewer yet have believed it. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you know what a small segment of the human race you are in to sit in an assembly where the God of the Bible, the Creator God of heaven and earth is being worshipped and where you know about His Son, Jesus Christ, and where all the, the wisdom and the truth 
is understood and shared. That doesn't mean we know every passage of Scripture. It means the great and glorious things the Bible does declare are known by us. Our sonship is a great blessing. And it should cause us to, to tremble this morning and to sit and to think and to examine ourselves. Have I used the year 2006 in full recognition and response to what God has done for me? And how am I going to use the year 2007? You know, man's wisdom is natural, it's foolish, it's vain, and yet it's worshipped as valuable. It's worshipped as a panacea for all of the human problems. His understanding has declined as his education has increased. Isn't that pitiful? For now he believes evolution, forbids capital punishment, despises authority, promotes horoscopes, aborts babies, saves seals and woodpeckers, adores rap music, promotes sodomy, outlaws references to God, runs up national debts, and otherwise makes a fool of himself on the stage of the world because he's ignorant and he cannot see that there is truth and wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is crying in the high places, Come to me. I've set the table. I've mingled the wine. I've slain my beasts. Come and eat. They choose folly. They choose folly. And they're going to choose it today. You know, they're going to go out and get drunk. They're going to drink themselves into oblivion. They'll be no more ignorant drunk than they are now, but they're going to waste their lives today. And we have an opportunity today to come into the house of the Lord. Remember what He's done for us. Yes. Know that there's a kingdom in this earth that does not come by observation, and we're part of it. That God is our God, and that Jesus is our Savior, and heaven is our home, and we are going there soon. And those sitting around you are His people, and we get to love them, and share together as blood-bought blood brothers until we go to heaven. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is a wonderful passage of Scripture. In that seventh verse, we read about hidden wisdom. What we mean by mysteries of hidden wisdom in that seventh verse of 1 Corinthians 2 is that God has an eternal purpose of His will and His counsel that's only revealed to His people. We mean that God has practiced progressive revelation through the 6,000 plus years the world has existed. He's revealed more and more. Those before Moses knew less than those after Moses. We after Jesus Christ know far more than those that followed Moses. By mysteries of hidden wisdom, we mean that God has revealed things in such a way that only the spiritual can understand them. By mysteries of hidden wisdom, we mean that the kingdom of God and even the men in it are hidden from the world. They cannot see that we are the sons of God. Why this sermon? What's the goal that we want to accomplish in studying this subject in the Bible? Do you understand what you are doing today and the importance that's hidden from other men? Do you understand the importance of what you are doing today? Are you rejoicing and thankful that God has saved you so gloriously. Amen. We had read to us by our brother Mike from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are bound. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation from the lying delusions that had just been described from the man of sin through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. We are bound. If you haven't been thankful, let's be thankful today. And by the grace of God, if we live to tomorrow and Jesus doesn't return, let us be thankful tomorrow as well. 
Are the people of God in truly a secret society? Yes, they are. The world can't see them. The world doesn't understand why they come together. Our religion is scoffed and ridiculed because they don't understand the truth of it. We know the future of this world, and it's going to destroy all their hopes, dreams, and ambitions. They don't even know it. Our Lord is coming to burn this place up. You know, they're all worried about global warming. We believe in global warming. The Lord's going to descend from heaven in fiery flames to melt and dissolve the whole universe. It's going to get warm real fast. And it's going to get real hot. They don't know it. They're worrying about global warming. You know, a change over a hundred years of one degree centigrade gets them all nervous. And just wait till they meet the Lord of glory. They don't know. We know. And we're looking forward to seeing Him. The Bible says that for those that believe, when he's, His arrival is going to be precious. And we're going to adore Him when we see Him. First Corinthians. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has said in verse 17 that his preaching was in a particular way for a particular purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. In that 17th verse, Paul said, I did not choose to use eloquence or the wisdom of human learning or human words that are appealing to men, because if I did that, then the cross of Christ would be would lose its power. And what power would it lose? It would lose its power as a two-edged sword. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a two-edged sword. It is received as the power and wisdom of God in salvation for His elect who are already born again. And it is enough to drive a natural man crazy because he thinks it's foolishness. And so he runs away from it. And as 2 Corinthians 2 would tell us, it becomes a sweet aroma up into heaven. If you just lay the Lord Jesus Christ and things spiritual of the Bible on the table before hearers, those that are already saved receive it as the most wonderful message of God's power and wisdom in Christ. It's a savour of life unto life. It's an aroma of life being proven by their response ascending up into heaven. To the rest, it's a savour of death unto death. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It proves that they are dead in their trespasses and sins and that God's judgment upon them is warranted. The gospel is never the savour of death unto life. God gives life first, then men believe the gospel. Because we're told that in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Those who are already saved by already being born again, when they hear the truth of the message, it's the power of God to them. They see God's power in it from the front to the back, from beginning to end. But those that are perishing, it's foolishness to them. Now, if it's foolishness, it can't save them. The gospel saves only the elect to a proper understanding of what God has done for them. And the gospel reveals the mysteries. And that's why Paul only preached to regenerate men when he could make the difference himself and see who he was preaching to. We're going to see that in chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we look a little further, God immediately goes on to say through the Apostle Paul in verse 19 that he has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. And he is going to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
God has ordained to overthrow the wisdom of this world by secret wisdom He is going to give to the members of His churches. The Lord took a market survey, and it's given to us in verse 22. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Most churches today do market surveys to find out how they ought to alter the worship of God and what inventions they ought to add to church activities in order to gather their market niche into their assemblies. But when Paul knew that the Jews required a sign and the Greeks were seeking after wisdom, he said in verse 23, but as opposed to that, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews it's a stumbling block and unto the Greeks it's foolishness. We looked at our market surveys and we made sure we didn't give them what they wanted. And that's what he was saying in verse 17. I did not use the wisdom of words to appeal to men. Verse 24, but unto them which are called, those that are ordained to eternal life, believe, both Jews and Greeks. And what do they believe? They see in the gospel that Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And they rejoice at the message. It goes on to say, Brethren, if you look around, and if you look around among this assembly, verse 26 tells us, Ye see your calling, how that your ordination to eternal life, you can see it, that those that God has ordained to eternal life, there's not many wise men, there's not many mighty, there's not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the base, and the nothings of this world. Thank you, Lord. I love being the foolish, the weak, the base, and the nothing, as long as I'm a son of God on the other side of that. And I hope that we always go to Him in that kind of humility and would never lay claim to anything in our own natural lives, but humble ourselves before Him as nothing. And the reason He did all of this, the reason He did all of verses 17 through 28, is that no flesh should glory in His presence. Verse 29. So we come to chapter 2. In the first five verses, Paul explains further that he made a definite choice about his method of delivery and the content. Is it too cold for anyone in here? The first five verses of 1 Corinthians 2 are describing Paul's choice about his delivery. In verse 1 he says, I did not come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Number 2 is the content of his delivery. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3 is back to his method of delivery. I was with you in weakness, trembling, and fear. Verse 4, his delivery. My preaching, my speech was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Apostle Paul here is talking in a way that is very different from every other preacher today and most every preacher training institute in the world. And that is the Apostle Paul chose by content and delivery not to give hearers what they wanted, but to give them the Lord Jesus Christ and to present Jesus Christ in a very weak way in order for Those that believed to truly indicate and evidence the fact that it was God's power that made the difference in their lives. And it was God's choice. We could alter the program of our little church. And we could greatly increase it numerically. We have the ability within the membership. But we can never do that. We've got to follow the Apostle Paul. 
And he said in verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I tremble sometimes when I read about these mega churches and wonder how many. Is it 70%? Is it 90? Is it 99% of them are members of that church because of the wisdom of men rather than the power of God? Verse 6. Follow with me. These words are precious. These words say that God has made a great difference. And while He's overthrowing the wisdom of the world, He is giving hidden wisdom and the secrets of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to His elect. Verse 6. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Paul has just said, I don't use wisdom. I don't use wisdom when I present the gospel. And he has just said, those that believe it are the foolish of this world. But he means both of those words in the way the world looks at things. The gospel is foolishness to the world. And the elect are foolish and base in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, here's what verse 6 is saying. We speak true wisdom among them that are perfect, the elect of God. Perfect is to be contrasted to the foolish that he has just described the saints. And wisdom is to be contrasted to the foolishness of preaching. When we look at it from God's viewpoint, what is preached through Jesus Christ is true wisdom. And the people that believe it are those that are perfect. They're the sons of God. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Everything the world is learning, everything they're acquiring and accomplishing is going to amount to nothing except fodder and fuel for a fire that is coming. What a difference God has made. Verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. This wisdom of God is the wisdom already mentioned in verse 6. Here it is called the wisdom of God because it is God's wisdom and God has given this wisdom. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. This mystery is not a mystery to us, but a mystery to others. It's a mystery to the natural man. It's a mystery to the world, and that's why they don't appreciate this assembly this morning, as we should. Even the hidden wisdom, the hidden wisdom, wisdom that is hidden from the world, but given to us. What the world wants to hear, God doesn't give them. What we need to hear, God gives us. Praise His great and glorious name. And that hidden wisdom, God ordained it before the world unto our glory. The things that we read about in the Word of God, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ of planet earth, God manifest in the flesh, that is a stupendous, fantastic event. And the world doesn't even know about it. But it was ordained before the world began to our glory because He was our Savior. And in the fullness of time, He truly did come to redeem us from our sins that we would have an everlasting inheritance in heaven. Verse 8, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The princes of this world could not see, though a man stood before them, about whom they could not get the testimonies of their false accusers to agree, who did not say a word, who did not revile when he was reviled, They saw perfect character. When a prince of this world had his wife come to him and say, I have had dreams this night about this man. Let him go. He chose political expediency over wisdom because he couldn't see the Lord of glory. He said, Art thou a king? 
And Jesus said, for this purpose, I came into the world. And he couldn't recognize it. And he said, I'm I'm here to bear witness to the truth. And the man said, what is truth? You know who I'm speaking of? Pilate. How could they condemn the Lord of glory? Wasn't that well known throughout Israel that he had fed multitudes, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with 12 baskets full left over? Had he calmed storms at sea? Had he raised the dead? Did the blind see? Did the, the Pharisees examine a blind man, blind from birth? Did they? Did he raise Lazarus from the dead? The daughter of Jairus. They crucified the Lord of glory because they couldn't see him. What a contrast. What a contrast in the degree of understanding. You know what it tells us right here? The princes of this world know none of the things that we know. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because they're going to give an account of their lives to him. Verse 9, let's just keep going and look at the blessings of what you've been given. But as it is written, this is taken out of the book of Isaiah, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This eye that hath not seen is the natural eye. The ear that hasn't heard is the natural ear. The heart is the natural heart. Because our eyes do see, our ears do hear. And our heart does appreciate the things that God has prepared for us. And we are told about them. The spiritual blessings, the eternal inheritance. Joint heirs with Christ of God. We're told these things and we know them. But without God revealing them to us, we wouldn't know them. God hath prepared these things for them that love Him. Our natural eye, our natural ear, our natural heart cannot figure them out. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. These deep things relate back to things you can't see, can't hear, and can't figure out in your heart. They're the deep things. You know, we get distracted here. Deep. You know, some people would think that deep is, what is the quality or the carrots of the golden heaven? Who cares about the quality or the carrots of the golden heaven? Give me everlasting righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a deep thing of God. How does a holy and just God justify me, a great and terrible sinner? That is a deep thing. Because the Bible tells me that the holy and just God of the Bible cannot acquit the wicked nor clear the guilty. But He's justified me forever. He looks upon me and He sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. A perfect substitute. The second Adam, by whose obedience I am made righteous in His sight. That is a deep thing of God. And there's a whole lot more like them. To be a son of God, if if in His great mercy He had spared me from eternal torment and made me His servant, we should praise and sing Him, sing to Him all day today. But He hasn't made you a servant. He's made you a son. That's a deep thing. That doesn't make sense to me. Do you know what the world does? The world gathers around their molten gods that they have made, like Molech. There's big, ugly Molech. A brass god with a fire burning inside it to which they toss their own children in order to make peace with this chunk of metal. In order to have a good harvest. Unbelievable ignorance. The Bible mocks it and the Bible despises it. The gods of the devil 
destroy lives. The devil's name in Hebrew and Greek is Abaddon and Apollyon. Both of them mean he is a destroyer. Those that follow him destroy their own lives in the worship of their cruel God. You have to offer your firstborn. You have to pass your seed through the fire to make peace with that cruel God that the devil designed and gave to men. Our God, He tossed His Son to the cross of Calvary and let Romans and Jews batter and bruise Him. And the Bible says, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. What a God we have. That is a deep thing. That is a deep thing. That does not make sense. It makes sense that for me to make peace with God, I should sacrifice a couple of my sons. That makes sense. But God is greater than sense because it's grace. Grace and more grace. What a glorious God we have. These are the deep things of God. Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, say the spirit of man which is in him. You know, we look at each other. We see some things on our faces, some of us more than others. But a lot of it's hidden. Some of you don't ever show me a thing on your faces. And you know, we can't know what's really going on inside, what we're hoping for, what we fear, what doubts we have, what ambitions we might have, what we're thinking about. But the spirit of a man is the, one, is the, is the part of your makeup that knows everything that's going on inside you. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even God. There is a spirit of the living God who knows all the thoughts that God has toward us, and they are great and glorious, and they are the deep things of God. And He's revealed them to us by this spirit. This spirit came upon the Apostle Paul and gave him the ability to write inspired Scripture. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. These holy men. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is why we preach unconditional salvation. Because they're freely given to us of God. They're not offered. There's only been one offering. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ offering Himself to His Father. And that offering was accepted. And because of that acceptance, we are accepted. In the Beloved, if Jesus was accepted and we stood on the threshold of eternal torment, but when He ascended up into heaven through the eternal Spirit, He offered Himself without spot to God, and that sacrifice was accepted. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We are, we are sitting here in a, in a secret assembly. The world sleeps. The world drinks. The world runs about with all of its activities. And we talk about things of, time, of eternity past, of time, and of eternity to come that they don't know anything about with free things that God has given us. You know, if I was to tell you that you're going to be free from taxation and free from a mortgage and free from expenses for your children's education, I fear that you might get more excited than telling you about the deep things of God. But these are things that are freely given to us of God. And they affect our time and eternity. And they're glorious. And no one knows of them. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for your sins and adopt you as one of His children. 
And he is revealing to you all the hidden wisdom of the universe, including all the things he stored up for you that you can't even imagine that he's going to freely give you in time to come. The worst that can happen to us is the best that can happen. Do you know what's the worst that can happen? You could keel over right now and die. Do you know that's the best thing that could happen? What does it tell us in the Bible? You'd be immediately where? In the presence of the Lord. How long will you be with Him once you're there? Forever. Forever. You've got a terminal condition. You're a son of God forever. Yes, brother. Forever. Praise the Lord. These are wonderful things. Verse 13, which things also we speak. This is the Apostle Paul to whom the Spirit of God revealed so much. Paul said many of the things he knew had been hidden from men from the foundation of the world, but revealed to him. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You have a spiritual book, and when you study it, you better have a spiritual mindset. You better be walking in the Spirit. And you better compare God's spiritual concepts and God's spiritual words or you're going to get yourself in trouble. That is rule number two of how we study the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.13 Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You want a commentary to help you understand the Bible? Then read the rest of it. Read the rest of the Bible. The Bible's its own best commentary. As soon as you get outside the Bible, you start reading man's words of wisdom about the Bible... It's, it's scary territory out there. You're on thin ice. You know, many of them have written good things. But you've got to be careful. We want to compare what the Holy Ghost teacheth. Verse 14, but the natural man. This is a verse we know so well, but I fear that we know it for the wrong reason. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We run to this verse to prove total depravity, and it's a good place to run to prove total depravity. But we want to look at this verse and realize that without the grace of God, we would not understand, know, or have any of the things that have just been described to us. Because the natural man has no interest in what we have just briefly looked at in these previous verses. And so instead of looking at this verse as a proof of total depravity, it's a reminder to us that there is hidden wisdom that God has revealed to us by making us a spiritual man in verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. That word judgeth there, by comparing with verse 14, is the same as discerneth. While the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, can't pick them up. Can't pick up that what we're doing in this room is very important. That the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a very important person. Those words don't even do justice to him, as you well know. But the spiritual man discerns all those things. And, but look what it says. Yet he himself is judged of no man. He is not discerned by anyone else. Though he discerns all things, no one else is able to discern him. The world cannot pick up the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness. And they can't pick up the true sons of God the ones that have the Spirit of God, because they're unable to discern those individuals as well. Verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? No one has known the mind of the Lord to instruct him. This is an Old Testament quote, rhetorical question. No man's known. But we have the mind of Christ. Can you believe that? We have the mind of Christ. 
contrary to that natural man, that natural mind that sees nothing, we have the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many things that I wanted and want to share with you how ignorant man is, how little he sees, how many secrets there are in the mind of God, and how many of them He has revealed to us. We do not have a right to truth. It is a blessed privilege to be shown any truth. We chose lies in the beginning. Let me remind you of King Ahab, because King Ahab said, I do not like Micaiah. That prophet never says anything good about me. God said, fine, I'll send Micaiah to you with a lie and something good for you. Micaiah came in and said, King Ahab, go to battle. You're going to win today. Micaiah said, now I want you to tell me the truth. Micaiah just told him something good. But he knew it wasn't true. Some men choose lies. And you know, Micaiah said, I had a vision last night. I saw all of heaven opened. And the Lord sitting on His throne before all the host of heaven. And he said, which of you want to go and get Ahab into battle where I can kill him? One angel raised his hand. No. Another angel raised his hand. No. Can you come up with something better? A lying spirit raised his hand and said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, go and prosper. Don't you ever reject the truth of God. And don't you ever take it for granted or neglect the glorious things we have in this word. Because God will make our ears fat. He will blind our eyes. And He will stop up our heart. Lest we be converted and understand these mysteries because they are precious privileges and we should be most thankful for them. God has blinded men and been the source of confusion from the beginning of the world to those that reject Him or rebel against Him. Truth is not a right. Truth is a blessed privilege. The mysteries that God has given to us are glorious. You know, we know that Jesus Christ is going to soon be revealed and no one will recognize Him except us. I mean, they'll know who He is in one nanosecond of time. They will not recognize Him because they've never seen Him as He truly is. You know, if we were ever able, if we were ever to believe in graven images, please understand me, I'm speaking as a fool for a moment. If we were ever to have graven images, there'd be a white horse involved. There wouldn't be a manger. And there wouldn't be an L.A. hippie standing in some garden. And there wouldn't be a crucifix. There'd be a white horse. And the blood dripping from that white horse would not be his blood. It would be the blood from the fierceness of the wrath of the winepress of Almighty God. The blood of his enemies. That's the Jesus Christ that we know. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed that God would bless him. And he asked the Colossians to pray for him that he would be able to make the mysteries of God manifest. Remember, a manifest is a list of something that you can't see. And so to make the gospel manifest is to lay it out where everyone can view the great things that God has done. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm almost done. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I didn't get anywhere compared to where I wanted to get. But I, this day, this day as we stand at the end of one year and face the beginning of a new year, Let us be humbled before the God of heaven. 
of the great hidden wisdom that He has revealed to us, the secret society that He's made us part of. It is called the family of God in Ephesians chapter 3. And let us examine ourselves to see how well we've served this past year and how well we'll serve this next year. I love verse 16 without controversy. There is no debating this point. This point is established by God as incontrovertibly the most important things that we could ever know. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here are six aspects of God's great mystery that He ordained before the world began to our glory. This is for your glory. This is for you as a son of God. This is for you to have heaven. God was manifest in the flesh. Jehovah visited this earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was justified in the Spirit by the Spirit declaring with marvelous signs and wonders from His baptism to His resurrection that He was truly indeed the Son of God. He was seen of angels. The host of heaven worshipped the Son of God. Those angels were visible, whether it was in the fields over Judea announcing His birth, or in the wilderness strengthening Him when He was tempted by the devil, or in Gethsemane where they comforted and strengthened Him again. Jesus told Nathaniel, you're going to see the angels of heaven ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We're talking about the most powerful created beings in the universe. All of them are worshiping God and standing by to serve Him in any way that they could. These are things the world does not know about. There isn't a textbook that teaches us these things. There is an army that is innumerable. It's called an innumerable company of angels. And these angels, one of them, one of them took out 185,000 battle-hardened soldiers of the Assyrian army in one night, and in the morning they were all dead corpses. But all these angels stood. The Lord Jesus Christ said on His way to Pilate's judgment hall, when Simon Peter took his sword and slashed off the ear of a servant of the, of the high priest, Jesus said, Don't you know that I could presently ask my Father for twelve legions of angels? The world knows nothing about this unseen army. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lord of hosts because He has an army behind Him that is a host. Scene of angels. I want to tell you that the angels I know about from the Word of God stood there with their hands on their swords. That if the Lord Jesus Christ would have just looked at them and said, Jonathan Crosby is not worth my death, come and deliver me out of the hands of the Jews and the Romans, they would have split this world in half. There would have been earthly fission. He'd have tore this universe to they'd have tore this universe to shreds to deliver the Son of God. But instead, he said, "Hold, hold, and let me go to the cross for Jonathan Crosby." And I hope that you believe the same about yourself. Amen. That the Son of God went for us from a little boy. I've loved the song. He could have called ten thousand angels, but he died alone. For you and me, who are members of a secret society that he's died for. They don't, without controversy, these are the greatest things. I've read so many books in my life. But these six things are not the six things that are listed in the table of contents. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto my ancestors. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. The world had never believed the message of God before. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ had said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Those fishermen, fishermen, took a message about a resurrected carpenter's son to the world. And do you know what? Paul stood on Mars Hill with the Greek philosophers, and he preached Jesus Christ to them, and it was not the tenderest message you've ever heard. He told those Greek philosophers, God is coming to judge all men. And to prove it, he's raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that's a connection with the resurrection we don't generally make. But Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, made it. And they mocked him. They mocked him about that when he brought up the resurrection. And Paul walked out of that assembly. But a man rose up out of his chair, Dionysius the Areopagite, and said, i got, I got to hear more about that. And a woman named Tamaris, who was standing there somewhere, followed the Apostle Paul, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Our ancestors that were using leftover trees to build gods and to fall down to them and say, deliver us, were saying, I need to hear more from this Jew about the resurrection. Thank God that some men have come to us with beautiful feet and have preached to us the gospel of peace, of good tidings, of glad things. But brethren, it says, received up into glory. That's where my Savior sits. He was received up into glory. When you read Revelation chapter 5, and you see John standing there, and I've already mentioned this once, John is standing there, and there's no one to open the book of him that sits in the throne, that book of the everlasting covenant. This is hidden wisdom. This is hidden wisdom. This is why we're here. This is a secret. Even though we're trying to tell the whole world about it, hardly anyone cares about it. But I hope that we're all here today because we care about it. And we love every one of these facts. When John saw that there was no one able to open the book, he wept. But he was told by one of the elders, weep not. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And all of a sudden there was in his presence one that appeared as a lamb slain. I want to tell you something. The, The disciples on earth were doing this. And the angels appeared to them and said, men of Galilee... What are you looking up for? This same Jesus that has departed from you in this way is going to come in the very same way. And brethren, at that moment, at that moment when he went out of their sight, John saw him in heaven. Are you with me? We are only, we're not shown the picture between heaven and earth. All we see is Jesus going into the clouds, and then we see John seeing him arrive in heaven. Abraham saw his seed for the first time. Now you go read Revelation chapter 5 and wonder why they were singing the way they were and why the angels were singing the way they were. David saw his son for the first time. David had never seen his son before. His son was now before God his father and took his seat at the right hand. The world doesn't know these things. These things were given and ordained for us before the world began. Now how are you going to live in 2007? What should we do? We are bound to give thanks for these things and give God all the glory because it's by His mercy that any of them apply to us. The brethren around you have been bought by that same Savior. Can't you overlook their little differences, their little irritating habits? We are so blessed. We're going to be eating together in just a minute or two. 
Do you know you have a privilege to sit with the sons of God and eat in just a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back in here and worship again? Rather than living, working, and dying in hopelessness, like so much of the world and the history of the world, we have so much to live for. It's called the hidden wisdom of the mysteries of God. But do you know what? To whom much is given, much shall be required. We've been given a lot as special sons of God. I hope that we're living up to this information. And that is why we need to examine ourselves. And it can be done so quickly. Lord God, have mercy upon me for squandering so much of 2006. And bless me by your grace to be full of zeal for you and your kingdom. Let me stand as a father and lead my wife and children toward our heavenly inheritance. Let me be a wife to support my husband that we might have the godliest family of all to serve you for all that you have done for us. And you young people, God have mercy. Forgive me for not being a son or a daughter that I should have been. Let us live for Him who died for us. Paul said, We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto Him that loved them and gave Himself for them. When you go to the Bible, don't go to the Bible to check off a chapter. Go to the Bible to read, to meditate, to pray, and to find more of that hidden wisdom of what God has ordained for your glory from before the world began. I hope that in today's meager effort, this assembly, the preaching of God's Word, the singing of the hymns, the reading and the singing of psalms, the prayers, the fellowship, the eating together, the embraces, the hugs, the smiles, all of it, takes on more meaning to you that we are a secret society of the family of God and part of his kingdom, citizens of the heavenly Zion. And our king is coming for us soon. You like dramas with a great rescue at the end? We have a drama coming with a great rescue at the end. And we shall be forever with the Lord. I'm sorry that you don't have a better preacher to tell you about it in a better way. But I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And these mysteries, I was so thankful to be able to go to the other side of the earth and see a few saints who love them as dearly as we do. And we know that between that place and this place, and on the other side of both places, there's more. Let's just be faithful to all that He's shown us and love Him and one another. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.